at this for 13 years. And, and, and so maybe, maybe you've come here for a little while and you might have wondered, well, you know, why are you guys so intense at the vineyard? Or, you know, how'd you get those brown eyes? Or, you know, why, why is your house constructed with, with, uh, with beams? And why is the exterior, you know, uh, big fat logs that intermingle at the ends? And, and why is your front door red? And you might be thinking questions like that. Those are metaphorical questions, by the way. But you might be thinking those kind of questions. And, and what I want to, want to tell you is, what I told you last week and what I want to tell you again is that the reason we got brown eyes and the reason we're kind of intense and the reason that our house is a wooden house and it has a red front door is because something happened at the beginning. Something, something happened in our DNA and something happened in a foundation. And so what came on top of it was, was not fully determined, but it was set out before us. So why do we pray for the sick? Why do we pray for the sick every single Sunday? It's because this church started as a prayer meeting for the sick. You know, we pray for the sick around here not just because the Bible tells us to, and that's a good reason. But we pray for the sick because it's in our DNA. Something happened at the beginning and God touched us and we got a compassion and we got, we got a desire and, and we got a mercy heart for the sick and dying. So it determines who we are. Within all that conversation last week, <clears throat> I talked to us about six things that I felt like the Lord has outlined for us that we have been, that we are, and that we're going to be. The first thing is that we're a people of the presence. The second thing is that we're a worshiping community. The third thing is that we're, that we're a community, that we're a family of families. The fourth thing that I think has, has defined us, should continue to define us as well, is radical generosity. The fifth thing that I feel like defines us and should continue to define us is the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. And the sixth thing that I feel like defines us and should continue to define us is equipping the saints. You know, these are the things, about, these are the things we're about because it's the things that we are. It's, it's not us trying to put on something. It's not us dressing up in an outfit. It's who we are. So today, I, what I want us to do is I want us to focus on, on, on one, of our, one of our core values, one of our core strains of DNA. And one of our core strains of DNA around here is that first one, and it's the presence of God. And to me, the presence of God, it's our most valuable commodity. Of, of all the things that we've outlined in those six, the, the most valuable commodity that we have is the presence of God. You know, um, the presence of God can't just be, it can't just be a theory. It can't just be a theological construct, and the presence of God can't just be a story. And it, and it definitely can't just be a story that's told by someone else. It has to be an experience that we have, not sometime, but every single time we come together because it's the most valuable thing we have. You've heard me say this a lot of times over the last couple of years. If we have the presence of God, we've got all we need. And Jesus demonstrates that for us chapter after chapter, minute by minute in the Gospels. If we have the Lord, if he comes and visits us every single Sunday, oh, we'll have what we need. Irregardless of what the bank account says, irregardless of what circumstances are, if he comes, man, we've got what we need. And what I want to tell you is, the presence of God has been radically among us from the beginning. And for us to live out our mission before God, we have to have the presence of God among us every single day. This is something that's happened a lot since, uh, since I've been around the vineyard. It may have even happened to you this morning. <clears throat> we'll have worship. We'll do meeting. Sometime during the, during the week, somebody will come up and grab me and they'll say, Adam, I don't know what happened, but during worship this week, I just started crying for no good reason. Has that ever happened to anybody in here? 
Did it happen to anybody this morning? It did to me. And you go, well, why did that happen? Well, I can tell you why that happened. Because the presence of, the, the presence of God dropped into the room and he landed on your heart. That's why it happened. And you see, what I want to tell you is, you know, I'm not going for goosebumps and I'm not going for tears. But at the same time, I'm not going to avoid those because there's signs that he's among us, you know. Ultimately, I'm going for him. Church, we've got to go for him. Church, we've got to make the presence of God just our number one value. Bono says something really awesome. It's really true. It's so prophetic. Bono says, says this. He says, religion is what you get when God leaves the room. That's a good one, isn't it? Man, we can't have that. We've got to have more than that. So if you want to this morning, do me a favor and turn, to, uh, turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 33. And we're going we're gonna to look at the presence of God for a little bit. I'll give you a second to get there because I'm thirsty. When you get there, put your hand up. I'm just kidding. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Exodus 33. You know, the whole Bible's good. Every single word, every single phrase, every single letter, the whole Bible is good. But there's, there's just certain points in the Bible that are like mountains, you know? And, and there, there's these peaks that like, are maybe just a little bit taller than the rest. I'm not saying that they're more important than the rest. I'm just saying, if you know what I mean, they're just higher than the rest. And Exodus 32, 33, 34, they're like, that's like a peak. This is, we're, we're going on to one of the peaks of Scripture, for me anyway. And what we find here, what we're going to look at this morning, is we're going to look at God and Moses and, and, and some, of the, some of the things that, that, that that their relationship will tell us about the presence of God. But before we can get into Exodus 33, I need to give you a little bit of the background, so I'm going to tell you about Exodus 32. Exodus 32 starts out like this. Actually, it's even before Exodus 32. It's, it's you know, Exodus 25 and, and, and so on, leading into chapter 32. But this is what happens. Moses, as is his custom, takes off and up the mountain of God. Because when he gets up there, the presence of God comes to him and he tells Moses what to do with the people. Now I want to tell you this. The reason that Moses goes up the mountain is because when God gave him the Ten Commandments, he came down and he was with the people and God's thunder and his, and his, and his presence and his voice scared everyone and, and the people came to Moses and they said, Moses, God's too scary. We want to follow him, but he's ultimately too scary. You go talk to Moses and then you come tell us what he says and we'll do whatever you want. I want to tell you that ultimately their problem was that moment, okay? We're going to see that. So Exodus 32 happens, and what it is is Moses is up the mountain, and he's been up the mountain maybe a little longer than everyone thought he should be. They even started to think, well, maybe this fellow's not even going to come back down. And so this sort of mob mentality breaks out, and the whole group goes to Aaron, and they say to Aaron, Aaron, fashion for us some gods that we may worship and make sacrifice. And what's crazy is, Aaron doesn't put up any resistance. He says, well, bring me your gold. We'll melt it down. We'll make something. And he does it. And you all know the story. Aaron takes everyone's gold earrings, everyone's gold bracelets. He puts it in a hot pot. They melt it down, and he fashions a golden calf. And the children of Israel, the children who had just walked through the Red Sea, you all with me here, they had just walked through the Red Sea, they start to bow down and sacrifice to a golden calf. This is all while Moses is on top of the hill. While Moses is on top of the hill, the Lord speaks to Moses. He says, you're not going to believe what your people are doing. 
God gives him the download. Moses comes back down and he is furious and angry. He takes these, these tablets, these tablets of, of God's heart, and he throws them down. It's almost like a sign that there's been a covenant that's been broken. And he comes to the people and he says, what in the world are you guys doing? And he, and he specifically goes and he confronts Aaron. And I love Aaron's, Aaron's response. He, he looks at Aaron and he says, Aaron, what have you done? And Aaron says, you know, Aaron's like the original blame shifter, okay? And Aaron looks at Moses and he says, well, you, don't un- you know these people, they're, they're, they're crazy people. And they came to me and they said, we need gods. He, said, he tells Moses, he says, I took their golden jewelry, I threw it in a pot and, and, and a calf jumped out. Now you think I'm kidding you, but that's literally what he says. Moses says, I'm not having it. Moses takes that calf and he grinds it up, puts it in water and makes everyone drink it. Yummy. The original protein drink. So that's, what we, that's, that's what's gone on when we get to chapter 33, okay? Now, can we all agree that would be a huge problem? Okay, huge problem. You walk through the Red Sea. Moses has gone maybe two or three days longer than he should have been. And the next thing you know, the people who walk through the, golden, through the Red Sea are bowing down to a golden calf. Huge problem. So let's pick it up here in chapter 33. By the way, we're going to read a ton of scripture this morning. We're going to make up for the fact that we didn't last week. All right? Let's look at verse 1. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place. And the people you brought up out of Egypt, and I want you to circle that line there, you brought up out of Egypt. See, something's already changed. Because up to this point, the Lord loved taking pride in the fact that these were my people that I brought up out of Egypt. Something changed. And it has to do with that golden calf thing. Leave this place and go to the people, you and the people that you brought up out of Egypt, Moses. Go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants, and I'll send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Anybody hear the problem in all this already? Huge problem. Things are changing. So Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 through 3. I want you to just, on the side of your Bible somewhere, I want you to write the problem. Let's look at verse 1. See, there's a change in tone. We've already, we've already looked at it just a little bit. But the Lord begins to say, Lord, he be, the Lord begins to speak to Moses. He says to Moses, Moses, I want you to gather these people, your people, and take them to the land that I promised. The Lord's beginning to redefine the relationship. And, and one of the things that we all ought to think right now is, yikes. Yikes goes here. But look, it gets worse in in, in verse 2. He says, the Lord says to Moses, I'll send an angel before you and I'll drive out the Canaanites and all these people. The The Lord's plan is beginning to change here. I'll send an angel. Consider this. What the Hebrew really says here when he says, I'll send an angel, is I'll send a messenger. Does that sound, does that make you more confident or less confident than angel? Because the word for angel is messenger. It would make you less confident. Think of the last time that Moses asked for a messenger. Moses meets God and it's a burning bush. And God says, hey, I want you to go down to Egypt and to Pharaoh and the most powerful nation on earth. And I want you to gather my people out. And I want you to tell Pharaoh this. And Moses says, I can't do that. I need, I need somebody to help me. And the Lord says, well, I'll, I'll give you a messenger, someone to speak for you. Who's he send? Aaron. So here's what the Lord is saying to Moses now. Moses, you take the people that you brought up out of Egypt 
And I want you to go down to the land of the Canaanites and I want you to wipe them out. And by the way, I'll send my messenger with you. Now, the Lord, now listen, Moses may have understood that as angel or he may have understood that as another messenger. And by another messenger, Lord, are you talking about another Aaron? Another Aaron who takes golden, golden jewelry and fashions golden calves. Because God, if you're talking about an Aaron like that, I really don't need another Aaron like that. Feeling the weight that's coming on Moses? Y'all feel that? It's worse. Verse 3. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. See, there's been a change in relationship and that's where triple yikes. Verse 3, that's triple yikes, okay? I also want you to notice something else here, though, about the Lord. Even in the midst of, of triple yikes, The mercy of God is even in his hard saying. He says, I won't go with you because you're a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Y'all hear the mercy of God even in that? You know, God's saying, I'm going to change the relationship, but one of the reasons I'm going to change the relationship is because, gosh, if I come with you guys, I might kill you, and really, I don't want to kill you. See, the mercy of God, the mercy of God is in judgment. The judgments are even the mercy of God. So, Exodus chapter 33, verse 1 through 3. That's the problem, okay? So what we're going to do here is we're going to, I want to quickly look at several verses of Scripture, and I want us to see Moses' response, okay? Let's look at verse 7. Now Moses used to, make it, to, used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go in the tent of meeting outside of the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. <clears throat> and whenever people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each, each at the entrance of their own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, the son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Verse 12. This is, this is Moses' response now to the first three verses while he's in the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Look at what Moses is beginning to do. The Lord says, I'm going to separate from you a little bit. And what's Moses' response? He begins to contend for the presence of God. He says, God, you've been, you've been telling me to lead these people. And you've been telling me that you're going to send me a messenger. But God, what am I going to do? These are your people. And he begins to contend for the presence of God. And so one of the things I want to tell you this morning is if you're in trouble, you need to start contending for the presence of God. And if you're in leadership, you need to contend for the presence of God for those around you. God says, lead these people. Then look in verse 14. The Lord replied to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So in the tent of meeting, Moses begins to contend for the presence of God, which is a really bold thing. When you think about it, this is the God whose presence could potentially kill someone. And Moses is in the tent of meeting and he meets him face to face. And in the midst of this problem, he begins to contend for the presence. And God's, I love God's response. He says, 
My presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. Now, here's the only problem with God's response. That you, I will go with you, and I will give you rest. That's singular. God's saying, Moses, I'll go with you, and I will give you rest. Who's left out by implication? All of Israel. Look at Moses' response now. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, underline us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people, with your people, unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all, all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Stop now. Moses contends for the presence of God. And God says to him, Moses, I'll go with you and I will give you rest. Moses goes back to God and says, that doesn't satisfy me. God, you have to go with us because these are your people. God comes to him and says, because, I found fa- because you found favor with me, I'll do what you've asked. There's a problem in, in verse 1 through 3. And Moses begins to contend for the presence, not just for himself, but for his whole people. And God is, God is meeting Moses. And then look, then Moses says in, in verse 18, Then show me your glory. And the, and the Lord said to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Look at this. This is so awesome. Moses begins to contend with God for his presence, not just for himself, but for the whole people. And look what, look what God says to Moses here in verse 19. He says, And I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Now the Lord's going to go with Moses. And there's something about contending for the presence. Now I've said all of that to get to this point. Why would Moses contend for the presence of God, not just for himself, but for all of his people? The reason that Moses would contend for the presence of God, not just for himself, but for all the people, is is, is a very simple reason. We've already said it this morning. It's because the presence of God is the most valuable thing that anyone can have with them. There's nothing more valuable than the presence of God. Now what I want to do is I want to go back through all of these, all of these verses and I want to give you guys like, this is, I know you're going to get scared when I tell you this, I want to give you like at least 16 implications to the presence of God. There's actually more, I just got tired after 16. How many of you all think that Moses was wise? How many of you think that Moses had God's favor? How many of you think that, that, that Moses probably knew something about the way things worked? What I want to tell you is this. If Moses was wise, and if Moses had God's favor, and if he knew how things worked, if his conclusion was, man, what we really need as a people is the presence of God. I'm here to tell you, as someone who's not very wise, who doesn't have very much of the Lord's favor, and who doesn't always know how it works, I'm telling you, that's the conclusion I'm going with. All right? Here are some implications of the presence of God. This is why it's so valuable. Verse 7, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the, camp, to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Underline that word, anyone. 
See, in the presence of God, there's room for everyone if we're a presence people. There's room for everyone if we're a presence people. Number two, verse nine here. As Moses went into the cloud, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and it would stay at the entrance while, Mo, while the Lord spoke with Moses. And so Moses would go in and there would be this pillar of cloud. And, and, and what, I, what that tells us is that oftentimes when the presence of God comes among us, there's a physical, not metaphorical, there's a physical manifestation of the presence of God among his people. We've experienced it here. I can't tell you how many times I've been up here leading worship and I look out and the presence of God at first is tangible in my spirit, but then suddenly there's this light fog that will come over the room. And I've even taught some of the worship team how to look for it. There's a, there is oftentimes a physical manifestation of God's presence. I told you guys this is a story last week about how we had a worship conference back up in the, back up in the, uh, when we were meeting in the, in the theater and Danny Daniels came and Danny, he, at the end of the meeting, he, he just grabbed his guitar and he tuned it into open D and he played like 19 songs in a row, just one right after another. And the presence of God filled the room. And then we ended the meeting and everyone pretty much scattered away. And it was, it was Danny and about 12 or 15 of us. Some of you guys are still here and, and no one ever forgot this. And we're just sitting around and we're talking about how good the Lord was that night. And then we just began to talk about how good the Lord was. And the presence of God descended on us again. And there was this perfume, this, this, this smell of like roses and flowers that came among us sitting right there. It was a physical manifestation of God's glory. It was a physical manifestation of his presence. That's that's, that's oftentimes what will happen, and not always, but it's oftentimes something that will happen. And what I want to tell you is, it's normal for that to happen. Here's the other thing I want to tell you. We're not going for perfume in the air, and we're not going for a little cloud necessarily, but I tell you this, I won't be offended by perfume, and I won't be offended by any cloud that decides to show up among us. Because if we get a cloud, and if we get some perfume, the thing I'm sure as heck know is, he's here. You know, sometimes we need a cloud and we need some perfume to knock the dullness off of our hearts so that we can know he's here. So number one, the presence of God is for anyone. Number two, implication of the presence of God. Oftentimes the presence is a physical manifestation and that's normal. Number three. It's in verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young age, Joshua, the son of Nun, would not leave his side. You see, friendship with God comes from experiencing the presence of God. Friendship, intimacy, friendship and intimacy, they're in the presence of God. You know, dutiful Christianity and following the rules. If, you, if you've got Christianity that could be, could be explained as dutiful Christianity or following the rules, chances are you've got a lack of the presence. See, in the presence of God, there's friendship. You know what? I'm for following the rules. You know what I'd rather have? I'd rather have friendship. You know, one of, we already talked about it this morning. The, one of the main mistakes that these guys made was back in chapter 18 when they said, Moses, God's too scary. You go talk to him and you come tell us what he says. Man, I'm telling you, with that kind of scenario, you'll never become a friend of God. If the closest you come to God is what I have to say on Sunday, you will never be his friend. It's, it's wholly inadequate. 
If, if your encounter with the presence of God is what I have to say, or it's what Dr. Ray has to say, or what Andrew or Labriska or Hannah or anyone else in the leadership around here has to say, if your encounter with God is strictly within the confines of what we have to say or following what we say to do, you will miss friendship. And if you miss friendship, you have missed a huge part of what it is to be with God. Friendship and intimacy comes from the presence. Number four, it's in verse 12. By the way, let's get, I want to throw in a freebie here. Look back at verse 11. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, uh, Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave his side. Man, I tell you, if some of you all are called to be leaders, and you, some of you all are called to be leaders in the church, and some of you all are called to be leaders in business, and some of you all are called to be leaders in the arts, and some of you all are called to be leaders in healthcare. And you know what? This church is just full of leaders. If you want to be a leader, and if you want to raise up other leaders, and that's called kingdom thinking, the best way to raise up other leaders is get in the presence of God, but don't go by yourself. Take someone with you. You realize Joshua was, was, was Moses' was Moses's right-hand man, and he took over leadership after Moses went away. This is why. Number four, it's in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people. Stop. You know, sometimes the presence of the Lord, it's, it's addictive. If you've gotten in the presence of the Lord, if, 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 if you've been one of those people who's been here and in the middle of worship, all of a sudden God just fell on you and you start crying for no reason. If, if that's happened to you, maybe someone's prayed for you and, and quite unexplainable. You, you just kind of emotionally buckle and it's because you feel the love of God. If that's happened to you, I want to tell you, one of the things about the presence of God is it's, it's addictive because you just, oh, you know, it's that friendship thing. When God comes around, you start feeling like his friend and it becomes addictive. But here's the other side. I want to preach the whole gospel to you this morning. You know, the presence of God is not just uh, crying a few tears. It's not just feeling good about myself. If you hang around in the presence of God, eventually the call of God is going to fall on you. you here's the thing. We're called, to this, we're, to, we're called to this community. We're called to this city. We're called to this state. And we're called to this nation. And for us to impact this city, this state, and this nation, we have to encounter the presence of God. Because if we do that, then the call of God will fall on us. Look, Moses says to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people. Where did Moses hear the Lord say, lead these people? He heard them in the tent. He would go in the tent, the cloud would come down, and the Lord would say, lead these people. I promise you, if you show up here every week, and if the Lord shows up here every week, the Lord is going to give us a, a, a call that's a communal call, and He's going to give us a call that's an individual call. You know, there's some people who, who like the presence of God because, because they like to get the Holy Ghost shakes and they like to fall down. And I'm okay with the Holy Ghost shakes and falling down. I'm for it. But here's the other part. Eventually, you're going to get a call. And if you've spent your entire life in the presence of God and you've never got the call, something's wrong. You know, if, if you're 45 years old and you've been walking with God for 30 years and you've never heard a call, something's wrong. And I'm not talking about the call to ministry. I'm talking about the call to life and the people you live around. If you've never felt the presence of God push you toward action, something's wrong. You can't hang out the church for 30 years. Uh, it's my prayer that you couldn't hang uh, At least here, Jesus, let this be a place where you can't hang out for 30 years and never hear the call. The call of God is in the presence. The favor of God is in the presence. 
Verse 14, this is number five. The rest of God is in the presence. God responds to Moses' plea. You know, God, come be with us. And the Lord says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. How many of you in here need rest? And I want to tell you something about this little phrase, I will give you rest. It's kind of like a mantra that it's all over the Old Testament. And what it really means is this, I'll give you rest from your enemies, all those who attack you. How many of you would like to have rest from your enemies? Rest from your enemies comes from being in the presence of the Lord. How many of you, when you were babies, memorized Psalm 23? You know where I'm going with this already. You get in his presence, and what does he do? He sets a table in front of you. It's a banqueting table, and it's right in front of your enemies. You see, you get in the presence of the Lord, and there's rest. And there's rest from your enemies. Some of y'all need rest from your enemies, and I'm telling you, the answer is to find the presence of God. Whatever it costs. Wherever you have to go, whatever you have to do. Because it's just that valuable. Number six, verse 15. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Number six distinction is found in the presence of God. It's the presence of God that makes the church the church. It's the presence of God that that makes the people of God different from those who are not the people of God. You see, the presence of God should be the testimony to an onlooking world. The presence of God should be the thing that everyone can look at and go, you know, those people are different than the Muslims. Those people are different than Buddhists. Those people are different than Hindus. Those people are different than Wiccans. Those people are different than pagans. It's the presence of God. And what I want to tell you this morning, the thing I really wanted to get to was this. The presence of God should be the thing that defines who we are here at the vineyard. People should walk through that back door and when they pull on the handle, they should know they're taking a calculated risk with the rest of their life. They should, they should know when they grab hold of that, that, that aluminum handle back there that, that I'm, I'm, I'm considering walking into the presence of God and that just has dramatic implications. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, Jesus. That's a good word. That's a good one. See, it should be distinction. See, we need the presence of God to mark us. You know, everyone, this is just kind of a pet peeve, and sort of a hobby horse, but I'm going to go on it anyway. You know, people get all whacked out studying end times theology, and they're like, you know, mark of the beast, what's the mark of the beast? You know, you can also take the mark of the lamb. If you take the mark of the lamb, you won't have the mark of the beast. You know how you get the mark of the lamb? You get in his presence. See, the presence should be the thing that makes us distinct. The presence should mark us. We should be a marked people. Because the presence of God changes everything. See, when the presence of God shows up, everything changes. Let's think about Moses for a second. Before chapter 3 in Exodus. Before the burning bush. What was Moses? Moses was a murderer. Moses was a shepherd murderer fugitive. He encounters the presence of God, and then what is he? He's a deliverer. The Hebrews, before the presence of God, 
They were slaves for 400 years. They encounter the presence of God. They put the blood over their doorpost. They see the plagues. They go through the Red Sea. And what do they become? They stop being slaves and they start being a people. Not just a people, but a nation. You see, the presence of God will take you from being slaves and make you a nation. See, the presence of God changes everything. Let's think about Lazarus. You know what? Lazarus was just a dead guy in a tomb until Jesus showed up. And Zacchaeus was just a short dude up a tree until Jesus showed up. See, the presence of God changes everything. Lazarus was just stinking in a tomb until Jesus walked by. I'm telling you, man, if Jesus shows up at our house, if he walks through those back doors, everything changes, anything's possible, and we have what we need. It's the distinction. We need to be a distinct people. We need to be a distinct people. And I want to make, a, I want to make another serious note here about the change that comes from the presence of God. We've already talked about this for a second, but I want to hit it again. You realize that the, the, the Hebrew people, they were slaves. They saw God work wonders for them. They saw the plagues hit the house of Pharaoh. They saw every bit of it. They walked through the Red Sea, and the minute that Moses gets away from them a little bit, they're making, they're making golden calves. And so what, what's the point? The point is this. You, know, you can encounter the presence of God one day, and the next day being doing unimaginable things. Some of you all know what I'm talking about. I've been that guy. I, I've encountered the presence of God one day. I, I've, I've seen him. Not even, I'm not talking metaphorical. I'm talking about seeing him do things. I have seen tumors that were the size of baseballs shrink immediately. And then the next day do unimaginable things. And you think, well, what are we going to do? That's kind of a bummer. Here's what we're going to do. The presence of God can't just be a one-time event. See, the presence of God, there has to be something continual about the presence of God. What was the fundamental difference between Moses and the rest of the people? The fundamental difference between Moses and the rest of the people was that he continually met with the presence of God. We have to continually encounter God. You know, we can't just encounter God here on Sunday. We need to encounter him on Monday and every other day. And we need to come here and we need to encounter him together. I'll just tell you, God will do things when you're by yourself with him that he won't do in the crowd. And at the same time, God will do things here on Sunday morning that he'll never do by yourself with you. And we need both. It's, it, you, you want change in your life? You want to you you walk in destiny? You want to walk in calling? You want to be a prophetic voice to your generation? I mean, the, the answer is, get in the presence of God, and to the best of your ability, stay there. Get like Joshua. Follow Moses in and just fall down and stay. That's what change happens. Number six took too long. Number seven. This is, this is, <clears throat> this is an implied one. <clears throat> How many of you guys would like to be, be a wise leader for those around you? Like Moses. Well, we've got to get in the presence, okay? Let's look at verse 17. This is number eight. Favor and pleasure comes from the presence of God. And the Lord says to Moses, I'll do the very thing you asked because I am pleased with you and I have known you by name. Favor, the favor of God and the pleasure of God comes from being in His presence. How many of you all would like to know the pleasure of God toward you? The, the, the pleasure of God toward you can't be ascertained any other way than getting in His presence. 
You could, you could read the Bible all day long, and unless you encounter his presence, you'll never really know that he loves you. You see, I, ha- I, had, I, had, I, had the, I had the Bible verses about Jesus' love down way before I had the encounter of Jesus' love down. And I'm telling you, the encounter of Jesus' love is what actually changed me. We could spend the rest of the day taking testimonies on just that one little point. The favor and the pleasure of God comes from being in the presence. And I want to make one other remark about the favor and the pleasure. The favor and pleasure of God. Look at this. The Lord says to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I'm known you by name. And this is, this is after Moses asked, Lord, don't just go with me, go with us. This is what I want to tell you. If favor falls on one person, it'll benefit the whole community. See, if the favor of God found in the presence of God, if the favor of God falls on one person, it'll benefit everyone. Now I want to ask you a question that's, that's somewhat visionary. What would happen if the 220 of us that are kind of like core around here, what would happen if, if, if all of us went into the presence and we got the favor of God? What would happen then? What would happen if, if this Sunday morning crew, what, what would happen if, if 200, 250, 270 people came together every Sunday and it was people that the, that the favor of God had fallen on and it wasn't a theological construct of favor. It was like living in real. I know it on the inside. It's not just here. It's here. I live it every day. What would happen if we all got together? Oh my Lord, it would benefit this town. You see what this town really needs is it needs the people who go into the presence And let the favor of God, the affections and the pleasure of God, fill them to the top, and there'll be a blessing for everyone else. See, blessing on one is blessing for everyone. Well, what happens if there's blessing on like 300 of us? Oh, man, come on, Jesus. Verse 18, and Moses says, now show me your glory. And the Lord agrees to it. And what I want to tell you is the glory of God is in the presence of God. Let's look at verse 19, and the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Goodness, mercy, and compassion, they're in the presence. That's number 11. Let's look at number 12. We're going to have to, uh, we're going to speed up here just a second. Uh, let's go to chapter 34, verse 5. Actually, we're going to read some out of, out of chapter 34. Now, let's go down to verse 5. This is, this is, This is the Lord's response to when Moses says, God, show me your glory. And the Lord says, well, I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Picking up in verse 5 here. The Lord says to Moses, Then the Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with him, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. And so what I want to tell you is this, that the supernatural revelation of the person of God is in the presence. Because he's the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God who's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes their children and their children to the fourth and the children of their fathers to the third and fourth generations. I want to tell you, you won't get that 
That won't ever become a reality to you unless you encounter him in the presence. Moses didn't make that up. He didn't sit down one day and go, I'm going to describe to everyone what God is like. God came to him and described to Moses what he was like. And you get it in the presence. And what is God mostly like? Just since we're on the topic. He's mostly good. This is what the Lord said. This is not what Moses says about the Lord. This is what the Lord says about himself. He says, my name is the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. I maintain love to thousands and I forgive sin and wickedness, rebellion and rebellion and sin. Who wants that? Man, I want that. There's one way to get it and you have to get it in the presence. You can, you can read that little verse for the next hundred years and if you do it outside of a heart that's connecting with the presence of God, it'll be black and white ink on you and it'll do you no good. And what is the Lord like? What, what is the Lord like when he reveals himself in his presence? The Lord's nature is good. He is exceedingly good. He, he forgives sin and wickedness. And what is the sin and wickedness he's talking about? He's talking about people who would trade his glory for a golden calf. And he's saying, I'm even willing to forgive that and be with you. That's how good the Lord is. And you get that revelation by being in his presence. You go, well, Adam, that's not the only thing the Lord is like. Look at that. He's, he doesn't just, he's not just good. Look, he, he, he punishes. He, he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And he punishes the children and their children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? Actually, it doesn't sound harsh. If it sounds harsh to you, you haven't actually encountered his goodness in his presence. Because when you encounter the goodness of God in his presence and you read something like, and the Lord does not leave the guilty unpunished, you begin to realize that even the judgment and the punishment of God comes from a place of goodness and mercy toward people. I realize that, may, that some of you all in here, that may not be a reality in your life yet. I promise you, if you get in the presence of the Lord and you find out how good he is, even his judgments are good. I mean, what kind of God would be good? How, how can God be good if he's just going to let, let the guilty off, right? He's bigger than that, but he's willing to forgive. Supernatural revelation of the person and the nature of God is in the presence of God. Yeah, this, I love that little section there because it's about how the presence of God just breaks in and he forever changes at least in my mind anyway, he forever changes Moses' notion of who, who God is. One encounter. It's, it's about the inbreaking of the kingdom. I've got a story that's about that. It's kind of like that anyway. Um, several years ago, our church went through this, this really traumatic event. Um, one of the college guys who was really sweet and special to us killed himself, and it was horrible. And if you guys were here, during that time, you know what I'm talking about. It wasn't a little bit horrible. It was really horrible, and it was really traumatic because the circumstances that surrounded his death were, were incredibly dark, and no one knew. And here's what happened. It was on a Saturday afternoon, and we went and we put Ben in the ground, and it was a horrible funeral. Or at least it was for me. I, I shouldn't say that. Maybe it wasn't for everyone. For me, it was horrible, and it was full of heaviness. And, and to cap it all off, the, the funeral was on Saturday afternoon. At that time, we were doing Saturday night church here. And so after the funeral, I knew that we got to come, and, and I was a worship leader then. I knew that I got the awesome task of leading worship after the funeral. 
And um, I wasn't too excited about that. And I, I remember just sitting on the, on, on the stairs, like right here, before anyone got there, got here. And I, I just said, Lord, I, I have no idea what I'm going to do tonight. I feel horrible. I feel heaviness. I don't know what to do. You have to come and help us tonight. And that's about all the prayer I had time for because I had to get things ready. Got things ready. The worship band comes. Everyone feels the same way I do. And if you were here that night, you know what I'm talking about. If you were on the worship team with me that night, it was heavy. We, we kind of grinded through a set. Wasn't very anointed. Then the service started. The actual, and people were here. And the only thing I can tell you is, I can't even describe to you, I can tell you what happened, but most of you won't even necessarily believe what I'm telling you. The only thing I can tell you is this, that God came into the room, and when he came into the room, his goodness came into the room, and when his goodness came into the room, joy came into the room. And the next thing you know, I'm leading worship. Not some people are dancing. Everyone is dancing. And the power of God hit me. I threw my guitar down. I remember it to this day. It actually made a sound like clunk. And I start dancing, and then I look up, and there's a conga line going around our room. And you go, how can people have a conga line on a day like that? And I'm telling you, the way you can have a conga line on a day like that is if the power and the presence of God shows up. It changes everything. And that's what I'm going for, you know. I mean, I'll never forget that day as long as I live. That was the day the Lord came to me and said, I'm the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and slow to anger and rich in mercy. And and I, I, I bless people who are against me. I mean, we gotta, everybody in here has to have not just one encounter like that, but lots. Let's look at chapter four, 34, verse 10. This is number 13, so we're getting there. Then the Lord says, he's, he's talking to Moses, I'm making a covenant with you, and look at this covenant. This is a really good one, okay? Before all your, before all your people, I will do wonders never done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command to you. Obey what I command you today, and I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hiphites, and the Jebusites. And so, what I want to tell you is this: that the presence of God is the power of God. One of the things we go for around here is the power of God. We want to see the power of God touch people and forever change them. We want, to see, we want to see the power of God demonstrated over disease. I want to see the power of God demonstrated over addiction. I want to see the power of God demonstrated over demonic oppression. I want to see the power of God demonstrated over lukewarm hearts. And what I want to tell you is the power of God is in the presence of God. Look at what God says. He says, I'm making a covenant with you and before all, you and all your people, I will do wonders never done in any nation of the world. Listen, if we want wonders never done in any nation of the world, we've got to have a, we have to have Communion with the presence. Look at chapter 34, verse 13. This is further instruction from God to Moses. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Two things here. Number one, freedom from demonic and cultural oppression. And I, I, I could almost go all afternoon on this. Freedom from demonic and cultural oppression comes from being in the presence. You see, we don't have, we don't have sacred stones necessarily or Asherah poles. I, last time I checked, there's no Asherah pole in Campbellsville. But can I tell you, we, we, have, we have erected 
systems that, are, that seem cultural, but at their base are demonic. And, and, and the way to overthrow those systems is to get in the presence of God and listen for his instruction. Number 15, the presence of God is an experience of the jealousy of God. Look at what God says. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. I, I, I didn't even know this till this week. The Lord's name, one of his names is Jealous. If we encounter the presence of God, one of the things that we're going to quickly encounter is the jealousy of God. He, he, he wants us and, and no one else. And, and um, what that tells me is this, that the presence of God is ultimately, it's a, it's a kingdom expression. If you can hear me. The, when the presence of God comes among us, it, it's the inbreaking of the kingdom. Because God says, I'm jealous and, and you know, if you're going to be with me, you can't have any other. And so what I want to tell you is this. There's a lot of people who want to get delivered, but they don't want a deliverer. And there's a lot of people who, who want the kingdom, but they don't want a king. And, and so what I came to tell you this morning is you can't have it both ways. If we get in the presence of God, we're going to find out that Jesus is the king, and he's going to make it known to everyone. If we get in the presence of God, you know, the first four or five times, you might get the shakes. You might fall down. But on that sixth or seventh time, watch out because you're going to get the call of God on you. And then the eighth or ninth time, what you're really going to find out is that God's king and he rules your life. And so everyone gets to choose. Do I want a king or do I not want a king? You know, do I just want to be delivered or do I want a deliverer? Look at verse 15. And the Lord tells him, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. And then he just goes on for the rest of the chapter pretty much. And the Lord gives Moses instructions. And what I want to tell you is when we encounter the presence of God, we will encounter the instruction of God. And, it's, and it's, not, it's not lame instruction. It's instruction for how to live life. I'm just going to be really honest with you guys. I need the instruction of Jesus in my life. I need him to tell me what to do. I need him to tell me what to do at my store and in my house. I need him to tell me how to run my business. I need him to tell me what to do here at the church. I mean, maybe that's just me, but... The instruction of God. This is, that's, there's a lot of comfort in that for me. And it's instruction on how to live life. Now let's look at the last few verses here. Verse 29. The radiant face of Moses. This is pretty cool. Because it's real life. Okay. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him. And he spoke to them, and afterward all the Israelites came near him, and he gave him all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded. They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord again. You think, well, what's that about? You think, well, what's Moses' radiant face about? And Adam, why, why have you been... Grinding over 16 implications of the presence of God. You know, why, why have we been doing this? 
couple reasons. First reason is this. For the 19th time, the, pr- the presence of God is just the most valuable thing we could have among us. And the second reason is this. Because I'm completely unsatisfied with the notion that Moses and Israel could have a more profound encounter with God under what is really an inferior covenant than what we could have today. I'm, I'm completely unsatisfied that Moses could see more of God, that Moses could have a greater revelation of who God is under a covenant that brought death than we do under a covenant that brought life. I'm unsatisfied with that. Turn in your Bibles to our last passage here, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Start at verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was ingrained in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? And if the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? I mean, that's really what I'm going for. When it gets right down to it, I'm unsatisfied that Moses and a people who lived under a covenant that brought death could encounter more of God's goodness, more of His glory than we do under a covenant which brings life. It's not okay. We have to press in. And I want to tell you, the way we press in is by encountering the Spirit of God. If we have presence, we have enough. And if we lack presence, man, we're just, it's just religion. Get me out of here. If y'all want to memorize a Bible verse this week, that would be a good one. One of the things we ought to be doing in our personal time with the Lord is say, God, I want more than Moses had because you said I could have it. God, I believe that, the, I believe that Jesus and the covenant that he came to establish with me is better than Moses. God, show me. We've had a little bit of breakthrough here at our church. We've had a little bit, we've had a few signs sprinkled over the years. And I'm telling you, we need more. How is it that people who did not have did not have a covenant which would bring righteousness, would walk through the sea. I'm telling you, we need more. How is it that people who did not have a covenant that would bring life, the covenant they had would bring death. How is it that those people got to see the hand of God, the pillar of cloud would come down, and in the, in the night there would be a, a pillar of fire. How is it that that's fair? Not that God has to, you know, agree with me on what fairness is, but, I mean, let's at least start that dialogue. If you know what I mean. So that's the why, and I want to talk to you at least a little bit about the, about the how, and then we'll be done. We've already said the how, but I want to make it real plain. The how is, church, we've got to love the presence of God. You know, you know we, come, we come on Sundays for healing. We come because we're lonely people, and we want to be in community. 
you know, we, we come because it's just ritual. And on Sunday, when you live in Kentucky, the thing you do if you're a good person is get your butt out of bed and you go to church, whether you want to or not. And so there's a lot of reasons why you go to church. But I want to tell you, church, none of those reasons are necessarily bad, and I won't even disqualify any of them. But church, this year especially, and every other year, but this year, get with me on this. We've got to come for him. You know, one of the things that can happen and often does happen is this. One of the things that happens is a lot of times we come to church and church is strictly about the new people. And you know what? I want new people. And church can be about, church can be about saving the lost. And you know what? I want to save the lost. But what I really want to do is at the end of the day, when I go home on Sunday and I put my head on the pillow, I want to know that Jesus got what he deserved from us. And you say, well, Adam, where's salvation? Where's healing? You know what? Salvation, it's, it's here. It's on Sunday and it's every other day of the week. But the main thing that Sunday, I'm just telling you guys, for us here, the main thing that we're going to be about on Sunday morning is giving Jesus what he deserves and encountering him. I promise you, if we give Jesus what he deserves on Sunday morning and if we encounter him, salvation and healing and demonic oppression, that stuff all gets worked out. I promise if the glory of God falls on you, you get a radiant face, you go out and you meet some people, I promise you this, lost people will be saying, what in the world's going on? The problem is our face isn't quite radiant enough. The problem is I don't have a radiant face. I'm not living a radiant life the way I should. And so the way we're going to live radiantly is to get in his presence. And Jesus gives us this marvelous promise. He says, if a couple of you get together, I'll be there with you as well. As long as you do it in my name. And we're going to learn this year about what it means to do it in his name. I think we encountered the presence of the Lord a little bit this morning. But I want to tell you this. Next Sunday... We're coming for him. We're coming to love on each other. We're coming to get healing. We're coming to preach the gospel to people who don't have ears for it yet. We're coming for all those things. But the thing we're really about here, especially on Sunday morning, the thing we're really about is, gosh, I want to connect with God. Does Jesus get what he deserves? One of my kind of like mentors in the Lord, even though he doesn't necessarily know this, doesn't even know me, is Leonard Jones, and Leonard, Leonard says something all the time that's really good. And it kind of speaks to the how question. How do we, how do we, how do we encounter God, and how do, we, how do we see the presence changes? And, and Leonard, he, he quotes this, this verse all the time. Uh, he, he quotes Jeremiah 29, 13, and a lot of you all already know this verse. He says, you know, that verse says that, you know, you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. And, and, and Leonard's, Leonard's commentary on that verse is, if you can't find God, it's not his fault. You know, how many, of y'all, how many of y'all are experiencing the amount of God you want in your life? You know, most of us wouldn't raise our hand to that question. We want more, you know. The way that we're going to encounter God is to, is to come to him with hunger. See, Jesus responds to hunger. 4,000 people. It's a couple of loaves of bread and just a couple of fish. And Jesus is worried about the fact that if they go home without having anything to eat, they're going to pass out. What does Jesus do? He breaks that bread and he multiplies those fish because Jesus responds to hunger. And so, church, I'm telling you, we're going to love the presence of God. And, and the way that we're going to see and encounter and live a more radiant life is to, is to seek Him and to seek Him from a place of hunger. Amen? I've said plenty. Ministry team, come on up.